Welcome to Hall Talk. Life is filled with unexpected moments. Thank you for joining Jared Hall, a specialist in being a generalist, as he shares biblical insights and leadership lessons while curating stories. And now your host, Jared Hall. Welcome to Hall Talk. I'm your host, Jared Hall. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is episode 24, and it's the second week of the month, which means we're going to be diving into Bible Q&A. And so this week's question comes from my friend Dan, and he's been reading through the Bible, and he had a question about Mark 2. If you're not familiar with Mark 2, this is a passage where Jesus heals a paralytic. And so the question basically is, why does Jesus forgive the person's sins and then heals him? Did his healing require his sins being forgiven? Why didn't he just simply heal him? What exactly is going on in this passage? And so that's the crux of Dan's question. Thank you, Dan, so much for submitting the question. And for anybody who has a Bible question that you'd like for us to take a look at on Hall Talk, feel free to submit that. You can shoot me an email, jared.hall at gmail.com. That's G-E-R-A-D period, H-A-L-L, at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you and love to have a chance to answer your question on the show. So with no further ado, let's get into this week's episode of Bible Q&A. This week's question comes from Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. So let's turn there now, and I'll read from the English Standard Version. It says this, and when he returned, referring to Jesus, to Capernaum, this is a city on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, where Peter was from. After he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And when he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately... Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, And went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now, uh, a few things to look at further in this passage. When it says that the house was filled, a lot of the houses in the first century in Israel were pretty simple houses. There was usually uh, a living space and then a side room. And so that living space would double as a sleeping quarter at night. Uh, the side space could double as a guest room or a storage. Uh, very, very simple layouts. 
in the first century. Uh, if you ever get a chance to travel to Israel, you can go to the city of Nazareth, and there there's a first century recreation village. And it's there that you can get a really clear picture of what houses looked like in the first century. Now, it says that these uh, friends, uh, they opened up the roof. They removed the roof. Well, they were thatched roofs, and so it's basically like uh, removing uh, straw um, that's been bound together. Think of it like that, as opposed to tearing off shingles or ripping off sheet metal. Definitely a different different picture there um, than what we would think of in today's modern roofs or chipping off clay tiles, anything like that. Much much of a different style of roof. Uh, keep in mind also that it was the material that was available, readily available to them. Also in Israel. Uh, it's a very arid climate, and so you don't have to keep a lot of rain out. You really just want to keep uh, sun out and uh, bugs out, things like that. So um, birds, uh, droppings, that kind of thing. So very, very different, very, uh, very easy to do this uh, in terms of uh, what we would think of if we tried to go through someone's roof to get into their house today. In comparison, that's easy. It still takes effort. Uh, but easier than a modern roof. Now, uh, what happens here is, is that Jesus says that they saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus is making an intentional decision here uh, to demonstrate his true character, his true nature, to reveal his divinity in this moment. He wants people to get a glimpse that he is the Son of Man, that he is the Messiah, that he's not simply man, but he's fully God and fully man. And so because of their great faith, he forgives their sins. Now, this raises the question uh, in the scribes' hearts or the Pharisees' heart, depending on, uh, if you look at the uh, synoptic gospels, uh, this passage, uh, the similar scene is found in Matthew 9, 1 through 8, and Luke 5, 17 through 26. And so, uh, essentially, they're questioning uh, why Jesus would say that, because at that point, they're there to see what he's doing, to see the miracles that he's performing, to hear his teaching. But he he says this, this seems like it just goes too far to them, that he is blaspheming because he's doing what only God can do, forgiving sins. But Jesus' very point is to begin to reveal his identity, which he does in glimpses throughout the Gospels. Now, his response is is to tell them exactly what they're thinking. And so, but he does it in what is a rhetorical question. Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. That's the question. What's easier for me to say? Now, if we think about uh, the history of the Old Testament, we know that there have been um, men, prophets, uh, who were given uh, the spiritual enablement to heal others. We saw Elijah and Elijah both cause people to rise from the dead and so forth. And so, in terms of where the scribes and the Pharisees uh, who were coming from, to see people physically healed, not not unprecedented, 
Now, the degree with which the number of people Jesus healed, I would argue, was unprecedented. But at this point, early in his ministry, what he's doing is not unprecedented and not outside of what they would find theologically acceptable. Now, remember that in their mind, there's a hiccup as to who the Messiah is, that based on their understanding of Messiah, uh, from the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, all three synonymous terms, they're thinking he's only a man. They don't see the divine nature of the Messiah that's revealed, uh, I think, clearly in Isaiah 9. Now, what this does is it shows them that he is able to do both. Now, some people read this and they go, well, okay, so did Jesus have to forgive him of his sins first in order to heal him? No, not necessarily true, although it was a common belief that, uh, especially in the first century, that things like being disabled, being a paralytic would be the result of someone's sin. So I don't think that the gospel writers are saying that's inherently true for everybody. I don't think it's they're saying it's inherently true of this paralytic. It's not the fact that his sins had to be forgiven in order for him to be healed, but it was the fact that Jesus wanted to take this opportunity to make the statement of who he really is that he is the God incarnate, he is God in the flesh, that he is the one who is able to forgive sins, and that because he is God and he is able to forgive sins, that then, of course, he also has the authority to heal people. And so it's it's, it's a demonstration of what, to the degree of his authority, how great is his authority. His authority is so great, he's able to forgive sins. Consequently, of course, then, he would have the authority to be able to heal somebody. And so, he does all of this, and the response is that people are glorified. And they say, we never, I mean, they're amazed, and they glorify God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And so, here is a chance for the disciples to start to see who Jesus really is. Now, why does he do this? Well, Jesus isn't simply interested in gathering really large crowds to perform miracles so that everyone can be amazed, but he's trying to establish for himself people who are truly going to follow him, who are going to believe in him, who are going to trust him, and who are going to dedicate their lives to spreading the message that Jesus is who he said he was, the Messiah of Israel, the Messiah of the world. And so he takes these moments throughout the Gospels to demonstrate and to reveal, pull back the curtain, so to speak, who he really is. And this is the opportunity he takes here. Uh, Take note that um, all of these events um, in, in each Gospel, they're all taking place after his baptism. And his baptism was another one of these moments when he comes out of the water and Father God speaks and the Spirit descends upon him. And so if you think about it from a literary perspective, as you're reading through the Gospels, Jesus is is slowly pulling back the curtain, giving uh, the crowds, the disciples, these moments to, to decide 
to, to respond to the truth of who he is. Well, there we have it. That's Mark 2. Hopefully that helps understand that passage better. Thank you, Dan, so much for submitting that question. This is episode 24. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jared Hall. And as always, if you ever have a Bible question, feel free to throw it my way. I'd be more than happy to take a shot at answering it for you. And also, thank you so much for sharing this podcast with others and uh, for listening um, consistently, routinely. We just crossed a thousand downloads. Very, very encouraged by that. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your help in this endeavor of spreading the word about Hall Talk. So until next time, I hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to Hall Talk. Share your voice by leaving a comment or asking a question. Join the team by hitting like, subscribing, and sharing with others. As always, join us next time for more insights and conversations on Hall Talk.